words, voice, sound, speech, the very things that are simple to you have become the sweetest of all sounds to me. You know, it's, it's hard to describe what it's like to be rendered silent by an angel <laughs> for a year, to have those words and the, the voice and the, the sound and the speech stilled within you. It, it feels a little bit like the silencing of your soul, to be able to speak and then at a command, nothing but silence for a year. My, 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 my dear wife, Elizabeth, always jokes that in all of the long, long years of our marriage, it was the only time she ever knew true peace. <laughs> true peace. If you lend me your ears for a few moments, I, I want to tell you a little bit about what true peace actually is. My story, to understand it, you have to first of all understand my ancestors. I was literally born into the priesthood. I'm from the tribe of Abijar, and from the youngest of ages, all I've ever known is what it is to be a priest, be a round priest, to grow up with that as my family. You may not know this, but there are 18,000 priests in our land. We're broken into 24 different divisions of 750 priests in every division. For the majority of our time, we're, we're just in the villages, in our, in our hometowns, and studying the scripture, and helping people to understand God, and the, the Torah, and the prophets, and it's a joy to be able to walk pastorally with those around us. But for two weeks in the year, for two weeks, each division is invited up to serve in Jerusalem, to go to the temple, which, which shines like a jewel on the top of Mount Zion, the, the beauty of the temple shown to all people. And, and we get to be there for two weeks, serving the worshipers in Jerusalem, helping with the sacrifices, providing the, the daily rituals of prayer and song and music. And, and we get to be there as, as the priest on behalf of all of the people of the land. I've often thought to myself in those two weeks when I'm standing there in the temple, how privileged I am, how chosen I am of God, that God would choose me from a young age to be a priest. The idea of being chosen is actually what my story is, is all about. What, one of the things that we do when we're in those two weeks in the temple is one of the priests, only one, but one of the priests is chosen by lot to be the one who can go beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies, the very place where God's presence is. I mean, you can, you can serve as a priest all of your life and never be chosen for that honor. I, I had been a priest for 70 years. But on that day, on that one special day, my lot came up. I, I'd heard stories, of course, from the other priests over the years of what it was like to be behind the veil, behind the curtain, of what it was like to go inside, to be the, in the very presence of God. Every one of them had, had talked of the stories of the, of the glory that it felt, the, the, the true beauty of being in the presence of God. Each one of them had spoken about the intimacy of God's presence, and I, I longed for it. But the thing that they spoke of the most, every single priest who had been beyond the curtain, the one thing they spoke of the most, that they sung songs about, told stories about, was this. That it was the first time in their lives that they truly knew 
Peace is an important concept for us Jews. Actually, that's not a good way of saying it. Let me say it like this. Peace is the very foundation and structure of our faith. It's what our faith is all about. You Gentiles, you, you often think of peace simply as the idea of the cessation of an argument or the absence of war. But for us Jews, peace isn't about the absence of something. It's about the presence of something. It's not about what's not there anymore. It's about what has come to be there in that moment. For us Jews, peace is described by this one word in our tongue, shalom. Shalom, literally translated, means wholeness. But it carries with it a much broader set of ideas. The, the ideas of, of, of being safe and secure. The, the ideas of being restored. The ideas of, of, of knowing perfection and trueness. The ideas of an intimacy that enables you to truly rest. There are other words too within this idea of shalom. The word shalam, which means restoration. The word shalamet, which means to have perfection. So for us Jews, when we think of the idea of peace, we're, we're talking about a moment where we come together to know the perfection of God, where we come to understand what it is to truly be human, to be made in His image, where, where we are finally in a place where wholeness, just as we were created to be, actually is. It's a wonderful thing. One of my old rabbis once described it to me like this. He said, for us, shalom is it's like the coming together of two opposing opposites, two separate opposites coming together to form one new shared reality. When those things that are opposed to one another come together and form a new relationship, this is wholeness. It is restoration, perfection, shalom, peace. All of which uh, brings me back to that day when my lot was chosen. I, I remember feeling incredibly excited. This was my moment to go beyond that veil into the Holy of Holies to witness something of God that I had never witnessed before. I, I remember grabbing the curtain and pulling it back and, and walking on in. Oh, the joy I felt. And as the curtain closed behind me, suddenly I heard nothing. Silence. Which when you come to understand the rest of my story is quite ironic. <laughs> But in that moment, it was beautiful. I had just gone from the inner courts where the slaughtering of the animals was, where the worship was taking place, where the prayers were being prayed, the cacophony of noise, and then suddenly, absolutely silence. Nothing. Just me and the presence of God. It's hard to describe to you the joy that it feels to have the whole world turned off and only God be with you. It's hard to explain to you what it was like for me to suddenly know that I was truly, deeply the only one who was in the world for him. It felt like the whole world had stopped, and there I was, caught in the love of Yahweh. It was like I was truly me for the very first time. In fact, I, I felt younger. I, I felt like a, a new man. I felt like everything else had changed, and suddenly I was, I was who I was truly created to be, the image of God. Before God, it was wonderful. 
I almost forgot that the reason I was there was to, to take the incense and to, and to light it. And, and so I started to walk towards the incense table, and then I realized I was not alone, that there was another person there. I, I thought at the first, maybe it was another priest who snuck in, who, who had defied the laws, who were, who were going to be killed in the presence of God. But to my relief and horror, it wasn't a man at all. There, there was a being next to the incense table. Now, I had heard of angels. I had read about angels. I, I, I had even taught about angels. But nothing ever had prepared me to encounter an angel. It was overwhelming. Uh, every part of my body was, was shaking and trembling. It, it felt like the whole of his gaze was, was internalizing everything that I had ever done. I was overwhelmed with the smallness that I felt in the glory of his presence. The one who is holy, the one who is not holy. And as I was trembling, he walked forward and he said these words. And when he opened his mouth, it felt like the whole of the universe was saying what he was saying. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard and answered. Elizabeth, your wife, will be with child and she will bring forth a son and you will name him John. And then he began to tell me what, what my son would do. My son would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. My son would be the one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. My son would help to invite Israel to repentance for their sins so that they could be prepared for the arrival of the none other than the Son of God. My son. I mean, the words of the angel seem like fantasy to me. Words that I could not comprehend, ideas that I could not fathom, a hope that I had for many years pushed down, gotten rid of, pushed away, silenced. And I, and I felt in that moment that what if this doesn't happen? What if those angels' words were not true? And so I turned to face him. And then I said, how, how can any of this be possible? For, for haven't you not seen how old I am? And Elizabeth is even older. How, how could we ever? It was not my finest moment. I mean, think about it. I'm finally in the wholeness of the presence of God. I'm finally the person I was truly created to be. And in the moment of being encountered God's presence, I turn my back on him. I doubt. I doubt the very words that have come from his mouth. I, I, I doubt the promise that he has brought to me. I turn my back on the one who has opened his arms to me, and immediately I felt old again. The angel then said these sobering words. Because you have doubted, Zechariah, your tongue now will be stilled. And you will not be able to speak again until the prophecy I have brought comes to pass. And a weight came in my mouth. M my tongue stilled within me. I could no longer make any sound. Every day from that moment onwards, every day was a reminder to me of the reality of my doubts and my turning of my back on another. Every moment of every day, realizing that I could not express anything to anyone. And yet every day, 
Elizabeth, pregnant with our child, growing and growing. She had never been more radiant nor beautiful. (laughs) And then that day, the day I thought would never come, the day when Elizabeth gave birth to a boy, And then on the eighth day, when we circumcise our children, the child is brought to me and all of the family are leaning in, wanting to know, what will I name him? I I, I grab a parchment and I start to write down the name, John. And and I, I write it out as much as I can in bold letters, John, his name will be John. And in that moment, you will never guess what happened. I I felt the rush of the Holy Spirit. I felt like I was lifted up where I was. It was almost like the rest of the world disappeared again. And there I was, back in the Holy of Holies once more, back in the presence of God again. And in that moment, I felt my tongue loosened in my mouth. I felt like all of those months of agony where I was walking in the brokenness of my doubt were washed away. And now suddenly a new moment had arrived where two opposing entities, me who had turned my back on God and God who is holy and mighty, now could come together again as one. I felt forgiveness. I felt life. I felt the joy of what it is to know my sins were washed away. And in the beauty of that moment, I began to shout. I began to to praise. I sang a song, and I sang, and I sang, and I sang, and I sang, because peace had come, and peace was here, and peace always demands a song.
I'm so sick of all these Jews and their insufferable songs about peace. It's all they ever seem to sing about and talk about these days, this peace idea. We allow these, uh, these Jews to practice their little folk religion in the empire, of course. You know, it's, a, it's an act of benevolence on our part. Caesar Augustus said that it's, a, it's an act of kindness. But it's an act of kindness that allows us, if you will, to get our way. Herod, he once said to me, Herod, allow them to practice their little folk religions and we'll get them to be able to do anything we want. <laughs> yes, well, some of these Jews are nabbering away in the secretive little ways that they do right now about the idea that their Messiah has arrived. <laughs> I have informants all over the city, of course, and they came to me recently and told me um, that some magi from Persia have arrived. Now, we get these astrologer magician types all over the empire. They're, uh, they're the ones that will tell you, oh, just for a couple of coins, you know, just for a little bit of your money, I'll tell you about what's in the stars for you. I'll tell you about what's going to be in your future. I'll help you to understand the idea of the gods. Just give me a little bit of money, and I'll tell your ears what they want to hear. We have no time for these magicians because we know the gods, of course. You might be sitting there today thinking, well, I bet he doesn't believe in the gods. I believe in the gods. Of course I do. Caesar Augustus is the son of gods. 
He's actually our Lord and Savior. We have Caesar Augustus, who is the one who is able to hear from the gods and deliver that to all of us in the empire. You want to talk about somebody who knows the gods? Caesar knows the gods. We don't need any astrologer to look at the stars for us. But these astrologers have been saying something that's made me rather uncomfortable. I don't like it. They've been saying that the one born to the Jews is to be called the king of the Jews. You'll know, because you're good plebeians in the empire, you'll know that that's the title that's reserved for me. It was the title that I was given in 36 BC by the Roman Senate themselves. Herod, as you go to Judea, and as you look after Judea and govern it well, you will be known as the king of the Jews. It's an honorific title just for me. So, if there is one now born that they're now calling the king of the Jews, well, that's an affront to my leadership. It's an affront to my authority. It's an affront, if you will, to peace. Ah, yes, there it is again, the idea of peace. If we're going to talk about peace like the Jews want to, let's talk about peace, shall we? You'll know that when Caesar became the ruler of our empire, that a decree was made for everybody in the empire to understand what it is that we do on your behalf to ensure that you can have a good, healthy, and stable life. The decree outlined all of the things that we were going to do to make your lives nice and secure. Uh, it's a decree, funnily enough, that I have a copy with right here on the table. And because I know your ears and your minds get a little dusty sometimes, may I read this to you again? Providence has filled Augustus with divine power for the benefit of humanity and in her beneficence has granted us and those who will come after us a savior, one who has made war to cease and who shall put everything in perfect, peaceful order. I don't believe you need to give any coins to astrologers to help you to understand those words. Mm -hmm. The one who is going to bring you into perfect, peaceful order is, of course, Caesar, the Roman Empire, and if you will, for you living in Judea, me. I'm your instrument of peace. That's a song you should sing. You need to understand that peace was created by us so that you could live a good governing society within society, harmony and peace amongst yourselves, and we provide this peace for you. We provide it by doing a number of things. We ensure that you have a good life by making sure the rebellious ones are crushed. We make sure that those that are trying to disrupt your peace are dealt with in a quick and swift manner. This is why we have politicians. This is why we have a military like we do. It is on your behalf. Peace is free, but it comes at a cost. Are you, are you understanding this? It comes at a cost. Somebody has to pay for that peace, and, and we stand in the gap, and we pay that peace for you so that you can go along and know your harmonious life. We're the ones who have to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. We do it for you as an act of kindness for you. And so when we hear of all these Jews talking about peace being some way off, that they need another to come to bring them peace, well, they've completely misunderstood the reality that peace is already here because we demand it to be here. Caesar Augustus once said this. He said, All good and perfect peace 
comes at the hands of brave men who are willing to do what it takes in order to secure it. Brave men just like me. This is why, earlier this morning, I signed into new law a decree that every child, male, under the age of two, Jewish, living in Bethlehem or the surrounding villages, will be slaughtered. Every single one of them. I I can see your faces. You think that's barbaric. (laughs) That's not barbaric. That's an act of peace, my friend. Me, getting blood on my hands, so your Pax Romana, your way of life, can continue without any stoppage. I'm willing to kill them all to protect peace, for I am your peace. I believe your correct and right response is to say, thank you, you're welcome. Oh.
one of my earliest childhood memories was hearing the word Meshiach. My father, at the end of every day, would gather up the children and put us on his lap. And he would tell us the stories of the prophets of old, the stories of our ancestors. And the stories he would always go to were the ones about the Meshiach. I heard that name long before I remember hearing my own name. Meshiach, in, in our tongue, literally means the anointed. Uh, the idea of, of somebody being a Meshiach is that that person has been anointed by, by Yahweh, that Yahweh has set them aside for a, a certain period of time to do some things that Yahweh wants them to do. And so my father would tell us stories of, of Samuel and Isaiah and King David. The ones who had been anointed with oil, meshiached with oil, to become a meshiach for the people. The idea of the oil was, was really important. It was really uh, uh, something that, that, that my dad would talk about all the time. He, he would say, in the same way that we pour oil on our, our hands when our hands are chapped and sore and dry and dirty, and the oil brings them to softness and a healing and a restoration and new life, so the messiah. When they are anointed by God, they are used to bring healing and comfort and revival and, and, and life to the dry and cracked and weary people of the world. And oh, the stories that he would tell were, were just so wonderful to us. It was our, our favorite time in the day. And my dad, after a while, began to tell us a story about a coming Meshiach. Not just an anointed one, but the anointed one. The one who would come and pour his oil, if you will, on all of humanity. The one who would come and set us all free, washing away our sin, restoring us in relationship with Yahweh. The one who would establish for all time a place of repentance and life and the fullness of everything. And when my dad told the stories of a coming Meshiach, we would lean forward with joy in our hearts. We could not wait. But waiting seemed to be all we ever did. In fact, my people have been waiting for years, generation after generation after generation, with the idea that this Meshiach, this Messiah in your tongue, will come one day, and we're still waiting. <laughs> when I came of age, my father's stories didn't seem to hold the same vibrancy anymore. It's interesting, isn't it, how a, a, a joy and a fantasy from childhood can become an adult's embarrassment when you get a bit older. And I remember feeling to myself that this longed-for hope of a coming Messiah was still such a long way away. Should we really hold on to that hope? I mean, is this really an expectation we should have? I almost felt like my father had set me up to fail, that my father had put in me this desire for the coming together of all things under God once again, and it was never going to happen. The tension between me and my father grew. I began to find his attitude, his constant hope, his constant talk about this coming Messiah. It just grated on me. I felt like it was just air that had no substance anymore. I wonder if you've ever felt a little bit like that. When I came of age, my mother had a friend whose son was a shepherd and he said he would be willing to take me as, a, as an apprentice under him. And I couldn't leave quick enough. I gathered up my stuff, said goodbye to my family. And ever since then, I've been a shepherd. 
The shepherd has been a wonderful life for me. I, I, I've been truly blessed with it. I get to spend every single day, the majority of my time, outside in the beauty of the hills of the Judean wilderness. I, I mean, if you haven't seen them, you should see them someday. They are just glorious. And, and people often think that shepherds are lonely. That's a bit of a misconception. We're not lonely at all. We actually travel in groups. There's usually three or four of us with our flocks at any one time. And and my favorite time of the day is right towards the end of the day, right towards the night, where we all sit around and we start a fire. It can get pretty chilly in those Judean hills. And we sit around a fire together, and and as we're talking around the fire, you'll never guess what happens. The other men will always turn to me and say, tell us some of the stories your father told you. Tell us of the messiahs of the old and the longing we have for the messiah to come. And, And irony out of all ironies, the one who had ran away from the stories of his father has now become the one who tells the stories of his father to the others. I tell them with the same vibrancy, the same joy, The same enthusiasm my father said, but it's shallow and hollow inside of me because I don't really believe a word of it. The men hang off every word. I'm a great storyteller, but I still feel like I'm setting them up to fail. And then one day, everything changed. I remember the night well. I remember it because it was like the blackest of all nights. It was like a darkness had almost come across the land. It, it was like formless and, and, and a void. It, it almost felt to me a little bit like what our scriptures describe right at the start of all things, the beginning of the world and the voidness and darkness that was hovering there in creation. And then in the darkness, suddenly a glorious light. It, it was as if the whole sky lit up. There was a, a, a shaft of light that shone down from the sky that, that came upon us as shepherds, and we were overwhelmed immediately. I, I remember thinking to myself that I should be blinded by this light. It was that bright, but I wasn't blinded. In, in fact, the opposite happened. For the first time in my life, everything seemed clear. I mean, I could almost see things like I had never seen them before, as if for the rest of my life before, my eyes had only been half open. And then a being appeared. I can't describe to you what this being was like. It wasn't human. But there was a sense of majesty and glory and honor to it. And and immediately we were terrified. We we fell onto the floor. We were shaking uncontrollably. And, And then a voice came to us. And when this voice came, it was like the whole universe was saying this. And and for me personally, it wasn't like I was hearing the voice with my ears externally. It was as if the voice was reverberating inside of me and almost coming out of me. It said, do not be afraid, shepherds, for we bring you great news and a joy and a tiding to all. That today, this very day, your Savior, your Messiah has been born. In the town of David, you will find a child wrapped up in clothes and lying in a manger. And almost as soon as those words had happened, suddenly a great heavenly host appeared before us, a choir of angels, and they sang a song, a holy song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace will rest on those upon whom 
his favor is. And as soon as it happened, they were gone. Silence was upon us. And we, with our faces down on the soil, trembling as we were, no one made a noise. Almost as if none of us wanted to break the sacredness with the ugliness of human words. And then something happened that hadn't happened to me in years. Tears came. Tears just started to stream down my face. First of all, they were tears of shame. Tears of the many years that I had turned my back on my family. Tears of the many years that I had ignored the promises of the prophets of old. Tears where I had turned my back on my faith and not believed, not longed, not held the waiting in my heart. Tears of shame for what I had done. But then the tears were warm and salty. The tears of forgiveness. The tears that only come when we know that we're no longer at enmity with God. That we're no longer uh, separated from here. I, I began to cry tears of joy, knowing that I am forgiven. Knowing that because the Messiah has come, our longed for wait was over. Knowing that those that have been separated once before by sin from a holy and majestic God were now being brought back together again. Two opposites becoming one whole. I realized in that moment, peace was here. True peace. Shalom like we had always wanted. The desire was now here. And in this child, in a manger, wrapped with cloth, was not just the idea of peace, not just the offer of peace, but in this one, it was peace. Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation, fully God, fully human, in the one entity. I mean, that's what peace is all about. Opposing things, coming together to form a new perfect whole. In Jesus, we now see not just the idea of peace, but the person of peace. Stepping into the gap, meeting us in our brokenness, drawing us now into reconciled, restored relationship with God. I was Filled with peace. We jumped up, left our sheep behind, ran to Bethlehem. And when my eyes saw the child for the first time, I remember thinking to myself, if only my father was here. Because his dream, his hope, had literally come. And you need to know, just a week before your celebration of Christmas, that your hope, your dream, has also come. You need to know that the same washing of my sins, those warm and salty tears that set me anew and afresh, the same washing has happened now for you. You need to know that if you have ever felt at enmity with God, away from Him because of your sin and your brokenness, that you've been now drawn near because of the Mashiach, the Messiah, has arrived. You need to know that just like for me, 
There is a song for the not so holy of a future that is not so distant from us. For the Lord has come. Do not be afraid. As you look towards this week, may you know the peace of Christ upon you like never before. May you know that in that child there is reconciliation, restoration, because God is not distant. He is here. Would you pray with me? I wonder whether you'd stand. I'd love to pray with you. I'm going to pray as Andrew, not a shepherd, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Grateful for this moment of sacredness as we listen to the Christmas story of peace in a different way this morning. Father, we're thankful that peace is not at the hands of the Herods of this world. We're grateful that peace is not won for us by might or force or violence. We're grateful that peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of you even amidst the conflict. We're grateful, Lord, that the peace that we get to know, the one that truly restores our heart and our soul, is a peace that you purchase on the cross, that your resurrection proves, and that the sending of your Spirit seals in us. A peace to know that our sins are forgiven and that our lives have been made new. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here in this room who needs that message afresh today. I want to pray for these brothers and sisters, Lord, and those that are watching online right now, that they would know the power of your peace. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that's going on in the lives of these people, in the lives of us as a community here at the Vine, that is keeping us in a place of stress, anxiety, fear, a place where we don't feel at peace. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask for your presence again. Emmanuel, I pray that you would be with us, that you would draw near to those that do not feel at peace right now. And Lord, I'm sure each one of us, we have relationships. We have things that feel tense and stressy at the moment. Father, we just bring them to you now in prayer. And we ask that you would come and carry our burdens with us, lighten our load. And that those of us whose tongues feel like they've been stilled within us would feel our tongues being loosened again. Those of us that have walked away from relationships like the shepherd would at Christmas time realize that there's an invitation for restoration. Father, would you come and bring peace on earth just as it is in heaven? And may it be for your glory. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, everyone says. We're going to worship together one more carol. Uh, so let's join together in song. <laughs>